Welcome to the Wounds of the Faithful podcast, brought to you by DSW Ministries. Your host is singer, songwriter, speaker, and domestic violence advocate, Diana Winkler. She is passionate about helping survivors in the church heal from domestic violence and abuse and trauma. This podcast is not a substitute for professional counseling or qualified medical help. Now, here is Diana. Welcome, welcome to my podcast, The Wounds of the Faithful. And as the announcer said, my name is Diana, and we have a wonderful show for you today. We're going to be talking about our inner child, and it's not what you think. Sounds very, very new agey, doesn't it? But we have a new guest, Eddie Caparucci today. And he is a licensed therapist. He is certified in the treatment of sexual and pornography addiction. He and his wife, Terry, have a private practice working with men struggling with sexual and pornography addictions, as well as their wives who are dealing with betrayal. So among his many clients, now Eddie has worked with professional athletes, including NFL and MLB players, and television personalities. He's the creator of the Inner Child Recovery Process, which has been endorsed by many leaders in the sex addiction field. This therapy focuses on identifying childhood pain points that still haunt those who struggle with addiction by helping individuals understand why sex has a strong hold in their lives. The ICRP empowers them to make real changes. So this treatment differs from others in that it seeks to change an individual's heart instead of simply trying to remove a destructive behavior. So a little bit of a different spin on sexual addiction, which we've talked about in past episodes here on this podcast. But here's a little bit different spin, so I hope that you enjoy this interview with Eddie Caparucci. All right. Welcome, Eddie Caparucci, to the show. Thank you so much for coming on. No, Diana, I appreciate, you know, being invited. I always love, you know, meeting new people and, and talking to different audiences. So I'm really excited about this. Yeah, you have a, a unique spin to your professional practice in working with those with pornography addiction and their wives, um, the ones who have to put up with the porn addictions. So tell the audience a, a little bit more about yourself just to get us started here. Yeah, um, I am a licensed professional counselor. Um, I am certified in the area of sexual addiction and pornography addiction. I've been in practice for about 10 years. This is not my first career. Uh, this is not something that I ever thought I would do. Uh, this is a God thing. It's all a God thing. Um, my wife and I and our family, we moved to uh, from New Jersey to Marietta, Georgia about 19 years ago. And I was recruited for an opportunity, a job opportunity down there, which was just fantastic. I said, my wife was like, she's from uh, Tennessee. So she's like, want to go back to Atlanta. So we did. And I thought it was for the job. It wasn't for the job, though. What it was, so I could sit in a pew 
And I could hear for the first time somebody tell me it is about a relationship with Jesus Christ. Amen. Which just took my knees out from underneath me. I had no idea what this guy was talking about. I thought he was out of his mind. It's difficult enough to have relationship with the people who I can see and touch and hear. How do you do this? But it began me on this quest of knowledge and information, having never read the Bible read the Bible four times in over a two-year period of time and became flooded with all of this insight and information and uh, really helped me with my walk. And it's a long story and I'm not going to go into the whole thing, but wound up developing a real passion for having that relationship with Jesus. And then God did a really funny thing. He said, hey, you know what? I don't want you doing what you're doing anymore. If I have something else for you. And I was like, no, 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 no. This is not part of the agreement. Okay. I was going to get close to you. We we're going to have a good relationship. You know, no, I love my job. I love what I do. All of that. I don't want to do something different. And I spent two years fighting him. Mm. And my wife, my wife just kind of sat back and kind of laughed and watched because she knew how it was all going to turn out. And, um, and finally, one day just succumbed. I said, I, I, I can't do this anymore. I cannot continue to fight. I surrender to you. What is it that you want me to do? And it was to become a Christian counselor. So I left corporate America. I did take up a consulting job, which was, you know, so I had a little bit of salary coming from there, but it was about a half of what I normally had. And I went back to school, got another master's degree, did all the state work to become fully licensed and started a practice. But over a short period of time, I started seeing these men come into my office who were struggling with pornography and sexual addiction. And I was like, these guys look like me and the way I was 20 years ago. And then it dawned on me, I realized this is the calling. This is what he wanted me to do. And that is what I have been doing with my practice. It is exclusively working with men uh, who deal with sex addiction and pornography addiction. I used to work with the women also, helping them with the betrayal. But my wife, six years ago, came into the ministry with me. And so now she handles that side. So, so again, together, we've been able to, to watch God at work every day in our lives. That is so awesome. I, I appreciate you telling us about your, your salvation story, how you found the Lord. You know, we're all about Jesus here. And there's nothing better than being in ministry with your with your spouse. It's um, amazing. Yeah. So I, I like seeing how you started your practice. And well, we want to get to know a little bit about your upbringing. I heard you say that you were a, a skirt chaser at 16 years old. <laughs> Yeah, been, that, 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 that's been my uh, problematic sexual behavior, is that I would go from woman to woman to woman. I would not, I could not stay in a relationship, and I never knew what it was about until finally, I was about 38, and I was so tired, I blown through two marriages because of it, and I was like, I have to figure out what this is. So I went and got counseling, and I, I found out what I have is an attachment disorder. I have a fear of abandonment. What happened was when I was five, my father passed away and my mother was left to raise four children. I was the third uh, of the four. And when my dad died within a week, my mother had a nervous breakdown. 
So what happened is she had to be hospitalized and we got shipped out individually to different people, relatives, who I didn't know. I didn't know mm. these people. So here I am, five, no mom, no dad, no siblings, and I'm living with strangers. And that happened, and I lived there for almost a year for my mom getting back on her feet. And so she did come back, brought us all back together, but it was very short-lived. And she had another breakdown. And we got shipped out again to different mm -hmm. relatives. So they don't even send us to the same people. We're going, now I'm going somewhere else. And again, don't know who you folks are. Uh, yeah. That was shorter. That was about two to three months. And then mom finally brought us back together. So as you can see, you grow up uh, with this worldview of the people who love you are not dependable. The people mm -hmm. who love you will not be there for you. So what it was going on when I started to develop a relationship was I had one foot in and one foot out. I never fully committed because, mm -hmm. again, the fear that I would lose that person. Very, very funny um, is that nobody ever left me. Nobody ever abandoned me. Nobody ever broke up with me. It was always me doing that. Um, and again, it was to prevent what you know my little kid thought would happen. So that was the catalyst that took me in that. So then after I started to get healthy, I met my current wife and we've been together 25 years now, been faithful the entire time. Shouldn't have to brag about that, but so, and again, that healing, a lot of that healing came, not just the knowledge of uh, what I suffered as a child, but also in that, but that was about the time really dipped uh, deepening my relationship with God. So were, were your relatives, were they kind to you? Did they take care of you? Yes. Oh, yeah. There was no abuse. Oh, okay. There good. was no neglect in any of, of any of the homes that I was in. That was not the case. They were, they treated me like I was family. Uh, but again, it's just kind of scary for a kid mm -hmm. not knowing where is everybody else. Yeah. How did how did your world change in a mm -hmm. you know heartbeat? It's like you know, for mine to happen twice. It, it was just it was a lot. Yeah, I've I've moved a lot of times, and my parents divorced mm -hmm. when I was fourteen. But yeah, I at least had one parent around. I can't imagine how traumatic that could be for a a five year old to be moving around all the place. Right. I am thankful that that you had relatives that cared for you. You know, as well as I do, that's not always the case with other people. Absolutely. I mean, yeah. I could have went, went from the frying pan into the fire. Yeah. Okay. And that didn't, I was very, very blessed that that did not happen to me. So, but yes, I've heard the stories. I've heard many horror stories of all of it. So uh, working with, with your wife in your practice, uh, what what lessons have you learned over the years? Well, I mean the one the one thing that that this definitely has done. I mean we've always been close, but this has definitely brought us closer uh, because again we we have a common calling and a common objective, and also what it really does it helps us because again as you can imagine when you're dealing with people who are struggling with sex and abusing it, not using it the way God designed it, mm -hmm. you're going to hear a lot of horror stories. I mean, they're a horror mm -hmm. story. So we're there for one another 
to be able to be like a sounding board to kind of just vent about what we've heard and to grieve, basically, to grieve with the people that we are, are, are working with. Um, you know, the other thing that, that I've, I've taken away from all of this is that, you know, you, you, you can never, you can never understand what God may have in store for you Absolutely. and your life. I mean, when my wife and I first started and got together 25 years ago, never in my wildest dream did I ever think we'd be working together. And, and then to take it into a ministry mm -hmm. and to take it into a place where, again, like I told you before, we are so blessed because we get to see God at work every day in healing. We are nothing but vessels. Mm, That's what we are. True. We're vessels. We're vessels. Now, I will tell you, with my pride, uh, I try to sometimes take some of that credit for for that. And I need to kind of just allow myself to be humble. But that's where my wife does a really good job <laughs> in making sure of keeping me grounded. Yeah, our spouses are really good at that. Right? <laughs> God's good at that, too. God will knock us down a peg um, uh, if we're getting too high on our horse. But right. being in, in the practice together and ministry together you you don't have any marriage problems or struggles no well i mean you know we, we have the, we have the same struggles most people have i mean in that but having much of the insight of why we're both different how we have different expectations having that knowledge helps us okay so yeah, you've, you've each have done your own personal work on, on yourselves. Correct, yeah. correct. And we also understand how men and women are different. So therefore, again, the idea of give grace. Okay, she snaps at me instead of taking it personally, which sometimes I still take it personally, but <laughs> hopefully not, not all the time, and then say, okay, what's going on in her world today that's causing that, or vice versa. Mm -hmm. You know, not me, I don't so much snap as I will like kind of move away, kind of withdraw. And then she'll be like, hey, where are you going? You know, why are you not engaged here? Mm -hmm. And I have to kind of say, hmm, okay, what is it that's happening? Because I'm not being very mindful now of, of my actions. And then, so we, so we keep each other accountable, which is what makes it, you know, a, a really healthy relationship that we have. That's great. Yeah, I think being in advocacy really opened my eyes to myself and what's, you know, what's going on around me. I'm, I'm not a licensed psychologist or anything, but having to go through my own trauma with mending the soul and seeing how I react to things and my thought processes, it's, it's really helped me in my marriage now to Brian. Uh, but that, that is super awesome, all those blessings you have with one another. Uh, we're going to talk about your book, Going Deeper, How the Inner Child Impacts Your Sexual Addiction. What exactly is the inner child? It sounds kind of new agey. Um, is it a new concept? No, the, new, <laughs> the, inner, the concept of the inner child has been around for centuries. Philosophers were talking about the you know, way back in the early AD years. Um, and it has gotten a lot of um, notice over the centuries and evolved somewhat. 
for me, the inner child is this storage unit where we keep all of our unresolved childhood pain point that we really have done a wonderful job of suppressing over the years. So they're just locked away in this storage unit and we're not aware of them. And what happens is an event will happen in our life today that is somewhat troubling. It doesn't have to be a major event, but it's something that makes us feel uncomfortable. And what happens is our inner child runs into that storage unit and pulls out something that looks very much like what just happened. Mm -hmm. So therefore, my discomfort level, while it should be here, now goes up here. And with that, we've also learned that we can't, we don't sit with emotional pain. We don't sit with emotional distress. So what we do, we learn to escape from it by distracting ourselves. And with the clients I work with, they distract themselves using pornography or other sexual activity. Mm -hmm. So now it's like without even being very aware in a very impulsive manner, boom, they're off to distract themselves because their discomfort level has increased so much and they want, they don't want to deal with it because our inner child wants one thing, comfort. That's mm -hmm. all he wants is comfort. And so when anything happens in our life and it's kind of, and again, it could be somebody just naps at you or somebody maybe ignores you you know and it's like a little thing but then it's like he boom jumps into that storage unit pulls something out and he's been triggered and once he gets triggered that causes us to again as i say look for that distraction to be able to forget about what's going on in the world around us mm. well comfort we all want comfort we do. You know what? That's that part of the problem with, with, with us in our lives is that we want to stay in this comfort zone. And anything that comes in, okay, that, that causes some sort of discomfort, we are zooming in on that. We, we are, I mean, we're like a moth to a light, which, again, is not healthy because we lose sight of all of the other blessings we have in our life. And we just mm -hmm. zero in on here and it can change the entire dynamic about the way we feel that day. Our mood can shift, our behaviors change, our thinking changes because we're like, how do I get this piece of discomfort out of my world? Right. And, and you know what? And then we go back to Paul. What did Paul say? Paul says, I've learned to be content. I learned to be content in all circumstances, whether I'm fed or I'm not fed, clothed or unclothed, whatever it may be. We have a very difficult time feeling this sense of contentment. Now, you talked about using sex or porn to, you know, turn things off or not deal with it. And we've, we've talked about what we call stuffing. We don't want to deal with the trauma so we stuff it with stuff. And it, it can be all kinds of things. It can be not just sex or porn. It can be working a lot or drugs or alcohol or, food. you know, food some addictions. People are ex some people are uh, exercise junkies. Exercise okay. junkies. I'm uh, internet, 
Facebook. Yeah. I mean, yeah, yeah. There's so many things. Or you go to the other extreme where what you do is like hair pulling, cutting, yeah. you know, those kind of things to distract from all of it. And that's you know, the funny thing about this book, Diana, is that even though it's written from the perspective of sex addiction, what I've heard over and over and over again is that you could apply any addiction to this book. I uh, did take out the word sex and just say how the in, how the inner child impacts your addiction, and mm -hmm. that's why now we're seeing more and more people are actually picking the book up and they're reading it that way. Even though the case studies focus on the porn and sex, they're looking at it and saying, Ooh, "Wait, you know what?" The scenarios in here, the bottom line pain that these kids suffered, I can relate to. And that's why, so now I'm even hearing from people who have things like we just talked about, alcohol addictions, uh, food addiction, you know, who are getting a, they're learning how to manage those through the inner child recovery process. Well, so you have nine different child types so can you briefly describe what are these nine different child types yeah what happened is they they came from as i as i worked with these men over the years what i came i, I realized there are like nine different reasons why men abuse sex and that's when i turned them into the kids so example one is the bored child now this is a kid who was raised in an environment that offered very little positive interaction among family members so even if they're surrounded by people they feel very isolated and alone so they learn to entertain themselves and they find it more comfortable to be alone than with others and what happens at some point they discover sex and then what they realize is like oh my god this is like the mother of all stimulations I've never been stimulated like this. And so now as adults, whenever there's quiet moments in their life, they will run to set in order to get that level of stimulation. The other second child is the unaffirmed child. That these are kids who grew up receiving little in the way of praise, or maybe they received a lot of criticism growing up. And what the result, the result is that they have a very low self-worth. So therefore, their desire is to seek affirmation, and they learn to do that through sex. Mm -hmm. So therefore, even there, there are men who can watch porn, and by looking at the women, get the sense that this woman is saying, ooh, you could be just, you could be a wonderful lover for me. And so therefore, they want affirmation. They want that uh, attention from people. The other child, third child, is the unnoticed child. So these are kids who felt like they never belonged. They were kind of outcasts. They're the ones who had always chased people, had to mm -hmm. chase friends, had to chase family members. Uh, but they still, now today, they still as adults want to belong. So they could be in a very healthy relationship. But if someone paid attention to them, someone from the opposite sex, or sometimes from the same sex, so you have a same sex attraction, mm -hmm. they will gravitate to that person. Because again, their kid is so hungry to get you know, more of a sense of belonging. And there's also the fear that the person they're with now will not always be there. 
The fourth child is the emotionally voided. This is the number one kid that most men choose. And basically what it is, they have a very difficult time emotionally connecting with others. They can't tell you what they really feel. They can tell you if they're angry, they can tell you if they're sad, if they're uh, fearful, or they're happy, but they can't drill down. And even those who could, they have a very difficult time expressing their emotion, being vulnerable. But somewhere along the line, they were given a message that feelings and emotion could be dangerous or they're not important. So they're unable to emotionally connect and bond. But therefore, what they do is they use sex as a way to bond. Mm -hmm. And they think that is full intimacy. What they're really looking for is emotional intimacy, but they just don't know what it is. The next child is this need for control kid. And when he grew up in, or she, in a very hectic environment, very chaotic environment. And because of that, now as adults, they want control because they have this belief that, you know what, if I'm in control, bad things won't happen. Back then, bad things happened because I had no control. So therefore, now I can take control. They will abuse sex or look at porn when they encounter situations that they cannot gain control over. So therefore, instead of worrying about it, uh, feeling frustrated that they can't control that situation, they will run off to distract themselves. The next child is the entitled slash fightful child. These were individuals who were made to feel devalued growing up. Uh, they may have lacked a voice. Nobody gave them a voice. Or they felt their desires and needs really didn't matter. So as they got older, what they did was they learned, I can use sex as a reward for themselves. And again, you could put other things in here. You have people who learn to use food as a reward or alcohol or drug, whatever it may be. And their worldview is, I deserve this. I deserve this. So when things in life don't go their way, if they feel like this isn't fair, that is going to be the trigger that is going to set them to uh, act out. We have three more kids. The one, the next one is the weak slash inferior child. And these individuals were conditioned to believe that they were different. They were different from their peers or their siblings. They were not as strong as them. And so therefore they use sex to one, either feel empowered mm -hmm. or to reinforce this sense of inferiority. So their worldview is that I deserve to be used or I must use others along the way. The stressed child is our second to last one. These are individuals who also grew up uh, in environments that produced perhaps neglect or abuse or trauma. Um, they grew up feeling very anxious. And that environment could have been home, could have been school, could have been church, could have been the neighborhood. But over time, what happened is because kids can't stay in that stressed zone, because if they do, eventually they're going to get depressed. So they learn to, how do I suppress my anxiety? I desensitize myself from it. And the way they come up with the answer to that is, I won't think about it. And how do they not think about it? 
they find something to distract themselves. And in this situation, we're using sex and porn to do that. They still do it now as adults. Whenever anything gets dreadful, they just run, that's their go-to. And then the final child is the one who had been early sexually stimulated or sexually abused. So again, it is just what I said. These are children at an early age. They were exposed to pornography or sex, or they were abused, molested. And in many cases, they grow up with erroneous beliefs about sex and about themselves, seeing sex as something that might be dirty or it's a way of winning people over. But they also look at themselves and say, I'm bad or I'm dirty. And so therefore, sometimes they may actually use sex to punish themselves. So those are your nine kids, my kids that I have. As you were listing all of those nine child types, I I could picture some of the people that I know that would fit into each of those categories. And some of them are women. And, and I'm glad you mentioned that, you know, this could apply to both men and women. Yeah, you know, I've had I've had people ask me, basically women <laughs> that have written to me and say, why did you write the book for men? Just for men? And the, re- uh, what, the reason I did that is because I work with men. Mm-hmm. I, I haven't worked with women who have sex addiction or pornography addiction. Okay, all right. <laughs> yeah, but I you, know some. <laughs> so see, uh, yeah, and I know some too. But the thing is this, I don't know if the same triggers that I've identified in men would apply to women. I would imagine they're probably, they're somewhat close, but I guarantee you there's things that I'm not aware of. So who am I to sit and say, oh, this is for everybody. Hmm. When I haven't, I don't have that knowledge. I just be guessing. And I, and I can't, I can't do that. That is well, not. at least you're honest. You're, you're, you're saying well, that. Yeah. <laughs> we have to remember God put right. me here. Right. Okay. He put me here. And again, when we go back to counseling, do no harm. Do right. no you don't harm. want to assume what the women are, are thinking or, or their experience. Cause you don't have first rate, you know, experience with the women right. in your practice. So that's, yeah. that's a fair, fair assessment. Yeah. I, I've told, I've, I've talked to a couple of, um, female clinicians uh, we were having some talks and dialogues about hey you know what take these nine kids and explore them with the women in your practice if you find that they work then you know what book number write, two right you got book number <laughs> two. You, you can write it i can write it whatever it may be or how do we adjust them mm-hmm. to make it so that it is for women because the, that that is the fastest growing segment right now of you know what we're seeing as far as pornography use i mean among women it is just it's incredible the numbers are awful and it's just going to get worse yeah and it used to be just the romance novels you know the graphic which is a totally different kind of addiction yeah okay now it's now the women are getting into the porn and yeah The, the 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 myth is is that women are not visually stimulated. Well, that isn't true that. because you know Hugh Jackman doesn't run around in his movies without a shirt with his bulging biceps because women aren't stimulated. That's definitely yes, that's I definitely agree. done on purpose. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I've always thought that was a myth. I thought it was a way to just kind of picture women as very you know 
meek and oh i don't that 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 would not be anything that i could ever look at and that's you know what (laughs) to your point i think you're you're dead on with that so we want to give some ladies some love here and some hope you said that you work with women and wives dealing with this betrayal of their husbands and porn and how have you been able to help them through some healing you know why would my husband betray me i'm a good woman i'm a good wife Mm-hmm. Well, see, and that is where this whole inner child concept start to come together. Because at the heart of it is insight. Why? That is what I'm trying to get to. The core. Why ha- does sex have a stronghold on you? And because I believe understanding why I think, feel, and act the way I do empowers us. And with that knowledge, we now can share that with women so that they can see this has absolutely nothing to do with you. I could put any other woman in the world on this couch next to him and it would be the same problem. It Mm -hmm. is not you at all. And they have a hard time. Some women have a very difficult time grasping that. They think it is. What did I not do? And in some cases, they get in front of a pastor or a counselor who sort of sinuates that. Yeah. You know, maybe you're not giving him enough sex and maybe right. you're not taking care of your body, you know, the way you should, which you, you know, it just, you take somebody who's in an awful position and it just, it just makes it uh, to a point where it is disastrous. So mm-hmm. what we do with, with, uh, with that, if we help them learn to grieve, They have to grieve what has happened, accepting this is part of your life now, and you're going to have to make a decision. Can you ultimately, you know, get through this, grieve, and then look to how do we create a new relationship? Can't go back to where you were. You have to create something new. But with that, the whole key to that is how well is the guy doing with his work? Is he committed to it? Is he putting the time and effort needed? Is he learning about himself and why? Why does sex have a stronghold on him? If all those things are happening and she sees that, because again, what we're trying to regain is safety. Mm-hmm. Yeah, They need safety. And that time, it's when a woman betrayed, and actually when men are betrayed also, because it happened the other way too. Yes. Right? It takes anywhere from 18 months to three years to heal. And sometimes even longer. Mm-hmm. That doesn't mean you can't be engaging with the person. It doesn't mean you can't even be intimate physically. It doesn't mean you can't go on vacation. But there are going to be many, many triggers along the way. And mm-hmm. when you get triggered, again, we're dealing with trauma. And when trauma kicks in, and the limbic system in the brain kicks in, and the amygdala going crazy, the prefrontal cortex isn't doing much thinking. And it's very, it looks very irrational. And that's why years ago, when a woman would present in a therapist's office suffering from betrayal trauma, which was definitely even what it was called, they were being diagnosed as codependent. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, you're part of the problem here. And, and they had nothing to do with the situation. Fortunately, thank goodness, that has all changed, it has evolved, and we now use the trauma method, 
and dealing with them, but but it is someone who we are there to walk beside them step by step in the healing process as they're trying to understand how did this happen to my world? Could you wake up one day and everything is crashed? Yeah. Yeah, I appreciate you saying all that. Um, we have obviously some, well, probably a lot of women listening right now. And um, we appreciate that advice for them. Now, on the other side of the pendulum, we have women that are in the porn industry. And you hear a lot from, you know, Pornhub and all these places mm -hmm. that, well, porn empowers women sex workers are empowered what would you say to that i put it in the myth bucket that the you myth bucket, with, yeah. right okay here uh no it does not it does not empower anyone okay and i i have this this is this is what i say because i get many guys who will come in and say i don't see what's wrong with porn you know these women want to go and do it and you know so why shouldn't i watch it and what i say i go all right tell me Tell me the time you met that 12-year-old girl and you said to her, so tell me, what do you want to be when you grow up? And she said, I want to take my clothes off in front of a camera and have sex with strange men and women. How many, how, many, how many people do you think have said to me they've met that person? Nobody. Nobody. <laughs> Nobody. Now, I will tell you this, Diana. I believe, I really believe there are some of those little girls out there who, who would be like that. And you know why? Because somebody or somebody have hurt them very, very badly. Yes. And they are already starting to develop a sense that I am not important. I don't matter. There's nothing about me that is good. Now, are there some women who go into porn because they're looking to make some dollars? Yes, yeah. they are. But I still have to wonder, okay, there must be some level of brokenness there mm -hmm. in order to say, yeah, you know what? I think I'll use my body to let people objectify me, to be objectified in order to make a living. So no, I don't think it, it, and in fact, actually, I know it doesn't empower. And people who think that, just go and start reading the account of women who've been in the porn industry, who've gotten out, and listen to the story, read the story, see the horror that they went through, see what they, the, the abuse they went through, see how they had to sit there and get high before they went to do any of their shoots in order just to get through it. Sure. To make it through. So no, it is a complete myth. Porn does not empower women. Porn degrades, humiliates, belittles women. That's what it does. Yeah. And, um, and it's not just vanilla porn. Like, you know, back in the 80s when... You know, they had the, the TV scrambler, you know, in the middle yeah, of the night. I could see you. You, you just see squiggly lines and maybe um, some body parts here and there. But, but in those days, you had to go in secret to find, you know, those certain shops in a certain neighborhood. Now it's everywhere. Yeah, you just have to click a button. You just have to click a button. 
And actually, that's the other thing. That's why I said to you before, you know, I think the whole situation is going to get worse because of that. And also the idea of what is porn teaching our children. And I believe that porn is teaching little boys it's okay to objectify little girls. But right. worse yet, I think it's teaching little girls it's okay to be objectified. That's that mm -hmm. that scares me to death. It does. Scares me to death. It's 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 very damaging because now you can just get on to the internet with a camera and do porn videos in your own room and make money, which you couldn't you couldn't do right. that years and yeah, years ago. There's a whole new app out there. I think it's like, uh, what a fan or yeah, be a fan or like any fan, something like that. I, I don't know that much about it, but I've seen some of it where that's what people are doing. They're just going, they're setting up accounts and they're doing their own porn. That people come in to be members in that group, in that uh, on that channel, and they pay them money for it. And yes, some of them are making lots of money. But the question becomes, in my mind, how long do you be able to do that? How long do you continue to be able to degrade yourself that way? Right. And I would also, Diana, I think behind most women who are doing that is a very manipulative man. You know, I would agree with you on that. There's, there's always somebody, you know, in control of the puppet strings. Yeah. How many women, young women, have probably been deceived over the years by a guy who says, you know, you are so beautiful. You have a wonderful body. You are so great at sex. You know what? It would not bother me at all. That if you went and had sex with other guys, and think about the money that we could yeah. make. And I'll guarantee that has happened more than once. Probably happened more than a hundred thousand times. Those and kind sometimes of it's it's forced. Yes. They don't exactly. have a choice. You don't have forced. a choice. You know, you I don't think you probably wouldn't remember Linda Lovelace. She was a porn star back in the 19, late 60s, early 70s. I mean, I she heard made, the name. Yeah, she made a movie called Deep Throat. It actually, oh, yeah. it actually became, it became this sensation. I remember I was probably like 11 Debbie or 12. Debbie Dallas. Right, it was something Deep like that, Deep Throat right? and that. <laughs> yeah, I was about 12. It was on the news. They were talking about it on the news. They were interviewing her. I mean, it was, it was really crazy. She came out with her memoirs. 10 years ago, mm -hmm. if you haven't had a chance to read it, read it. It is a horror show. It, and it, what it is, is just the fact that, again, uh, this guy who, you know, sweet-talking, connived her into it, and then it was beatings. It was being forced to do things that she would never think to ever do in her entire life. And that's what it came until finally she was able to escape from it and break away. And I um, think that is something that happens quite often. Well, it's not just, you know, guy on girl sex. It's it get more depraved and more disgusting. And like you say, you do yeah. things that you would never, ever want to do mm -hmm. on your own. That's uh, actually part of it's in my book. I mentioned it, the fact that of, of what is happening with pornography uh, when it comes to 
uh, male on female sex, and it is becoming more and more violent. Mm -hmm. It's about, it's not about so much sex, it's about humiliating, degrading women, abusing women. Mm -hmm. And there are even porn producers who are out there saying, this is what the demand is right now. That's what people want. They want to watch one man or many men, you know, abuse a woman. Yeah. Uh, You know, and we've all lost sight of the fact that that woman is a child of God. She is a princess of the king. Mm -hmm. That is not the way she should be treated. No. You probably heard in the news, you know who Josh Duggar is? Yes. And you've heard... All the news yep, reels. Heard okay. it. Um, we've heard a lot about that in um, in our community here. And which child do you think he is? Just just throwing it out there. I mean, I know you don't. You mean know you him mean personally. From, an, from an age perspective, like the first or the last, or what, what do you mean by what child? Do you mean? What, what child type do you think he is? I oh, mean, what child type is he? Uh, my guess is that he suffers some sort of abuse. Hmm. I think he probably went through something like that. I would also imagine that the need for affirmation and the need for attention, because that more and more the children came in, boom, he got pushed to the side. And therefore, you know, so I would think he probably, but it's not really fair for me to judge based on the fact that I've never really talked to him or interviewed Um, him about any He's not your client, but I just thought somebody that was knowledgeable about that that topic would at least have an opinion or yeah i, well, um, I, I would lean that way yeah, i would think he's probably way. in those three buckets so we want to talk about what your unique recovery process looks like you know how is it different from other methods that we've seen before yeah my, my process is not about helping men to get rid of this behavior my process is about transformation of the heart I'm looking to create the new guy. I'm looking to create the man who understands what it means to have a strong and good legacy. And he wants to win that back. So therefore, he is now going to be committed to stop being inwardly focused and to be outwardly focused. What are the needs, wants, and desires of those around me? He was going to learn how to be more curious about people instead of just things. He's going to learn how to emotionally bond and connect. The, the next book I'm writing is Why Men Struggle to Love. And in it, what I've developed are 14 blind spots that men have that prevent that. And they're all, they all go back to our childhood. And they go back to the, the idea that we missed out on very important aspects of child development that we should have had that are critical to having good, healthy relationships, such as attunement, being able to be attuned to what other people's emotions are. Again, blank, have no idea what the heck that means. Learning how to regulate yourself, your own emotions. Again, blank don't know how to deal with. Learning how to sit with emotional distress, 
and understand it won't kill me. I don't have to run away. I don't have to distract myself. I'm going to be able to sit here with this and I'm going to move forward with it despite the fact that it's uncomfortable. And as I said, there's 14 of these and those are things that I really help men learn how to master so that again, it, it, if I have a healthy relationship, I don't need pornography. I don't need other sexual activities because what I have is emotional intimacy with God, with others, and with my spouse. And when you have that, there is so much fulfillment because as I tell guys, and you know, I, I, you're going to laugh, but emotional intimacy is so much more powerful than physical intimacy. And when I say that to them, they're like, wow, that doesn't, I can't grasp that. Because nine out of 10 guys who come into my practice, they have a low emotional IQ. Mm -hmm. That's why I told you, uh, there's nine kids. The emotionally avoided child is the one that's selected uh, almost with everybody. Mm -hmm. And including their spouse will say, that's him. He doesn't know how to bond. He doesn't know how to communicate. He wants to withdraw constantly. So my approach goes far beyond just this. But when you get down to the inner child aspect of it is what we're doing, we're identifying what are the core emotional triggers that make that kid run into the storage unit. Okay. So maybe I feel dismissed. If I ever feel dismissed, boom, there I go. He runs in there and pulls something out. Okay, maybe I feel um, that I'm not appreciated. Boom, there he goes. He pulls something out. He pulls out an event. So we identify what those are. And most guys, most guys wind up identifying with anywhere from three to five children. And then each of those children have their own unique core emotional triggers. So then they have to sit and say, which one of those actually sting? Which one hurt me? Mm -hmm. And then we know, okay, that when something happens in your life that brings on that type of an emotion, then you know your kid's been triggered. And now I become mindful, okay, kid's been triggered, so I can't let him run the show. Because he's just going to want me to run away. Instead, I'm going to sit with the pain and discomfort, going to sit with it, and then I'm going to make a healthy decision. And mm -hmm. that is to do something different than run off and do the porn, the food, whatever kind of addiction it is. That's basically it in a nutshell. I can relate with the learn learn to sit and be uncomfortable with whatever it is going on. And I, I tell that to my, my ladies in my groups. You can't run away from it. You can't hide from it. It's going to manifest eventually. You have to deal with it head on. But but if you haven't yeah. done that, yeah, all your life, you haven't done it all your life. It's really hard. It's really hard. Yeah, we have good parents out there listening. We want to talk about being a parent, and they turn out that they're neglectful to their kids. How does that even happen? How do we how do we turn into neglectful parents when you know we we think we're good parents? Yeah. Right, because uh, we're oblivious. Uh, two, two things. One, we're oblivious to what our kids need because we didn't get it. And again, in most cases, it goes back to that uh, early childhood development stage where 
our parents didn't get what they needed to learn how to be attuned, how to self-regulate, you know, how to have empathy. They didn't, they didn't get those skill sets. So now as parents, they don't know, they can't teach us to do that. So it just continues. And in that part, they become neglectful. Or it could be neglect in the sense that they're just overwhelmed mm-hmm. by life between the number of kids they may have or a child who may be disabled in within the family or have some sort of a, a substance abuse problem or something going on with a particular kid that therefore they don't pay enough attention to some of the other children. Again, it's not that they don't want to, they just don't have the bandwidth. You have couples, you have people who are divorced, okay, and a mom, now single mom trying to raise three or four kids, mm-hmm. has to go off to work, do all of that. Again, good woman, but just doesn't have the bandwidth to be able to give what what we need. You know, two ways that we can be hurt as children. One, our parents give us what we don't need which is abuse, okay, whether physical, mental, verbal, you know, any of that, or they don't give us what we do need. Mm-hmm. And that is learning how to comfort ourselves. How do we self-soothe? Okay, how do I identify my emotions? How do I express those? And therefore, they don't set us up so that we'll be able to have healthy relationships in the future. Again, good people, and that's what when I tell people, it's really funny, Diana, a lot of folks come into my office and I'll say, so tell me about your uh, family of origin. Oh, I had great parents. They were wonderful. My, my dad was always at my sporting events and he coached me and mom used to make me wonderful apple pies and blah, blah, blah. Okay, that's good. I'm glad to see that. I go, so tell me about, you know, how often did like when you were younger, did mom let you sit in her lap or dad, you sat in her lap and, you know, just be there, talk to you? Uh, never. Oh, well, how often were they there to kind of walk you through a problem that you may have had or some kind of distress with somebody, at, you know, in the neighborhood, a kid? Uh, I was just told, you know, get over it, <laughs> you know, take care of it yourself. Oh, well, how often did you hear them say they love you? Not that much, (laughs) not that much. And I was like, oh, so what I tell, what I tell my clients is, all right, this is what I need. I need you to let me take your parents. I'm going to throw them under the bus. I'm going to throw them under the bus because I have to hold them accountable. Okay. For what they didn't give you. Then I will pull them back out of the bus and I'll put them back up on the pedestal for you. Okay, but you need to see with eyes wide open. And it is amazing as we walk through this process that people sit there and say, oh my gosh, you know what? My childhood really was a little bit like a train wreck. It was a small train wreck, but like maybe one car got derailed or two guard and nobody died, but it was still a train wreck. And, And so that's what happens in those cases parents can't give you what they don't have right they can maybe go find out how to give it but in many cases they don't mm-hmm. wow yeah because we want to we want to develop empathy and bond with our kids and be a model of healthy relationships so we're not repeating repeating it for the next generation yeah we want to break that cycle 
Yeah, that's exactly what we're looking to do. We're looking to break the cycle because, you know, once I start, you know, working with these guys and they're starting to see, oh my gosh, you know, look what my parents were like. And then they start, oh my gosh, I've been like this with my kids. And so now that's why we go back to those blind spots and we start teaching them about empathy, they're teaching them how to be attuned with people, they're teaching them, hey, just going to a ball game or something like that is not enough. Mm-hmm. You got to sit there where you got them in the car and have those conversations. Mm-hmm. And, and, and what happened, it causes anxiety. It's okay. So sit with that anxiety. I sit with it and I still move forward versus I'm just going to shut down and not say anything. So yes, that, that part of what we're looking to do, we need to teach our kids to learn how to be empathetic, to be attuned, to regulate, um, to not feel a sense of abandonment so that they can feel, you know, they'll be again in a place where they can have healthy relationships. Mm-hmm. I was grateful for my parents. No, they weren't perfect. Wow, I can't believe that we have been talking for an hour. It just has flown by. Um, Got so much good stuff. You got to watch out for me. I could talk three, four hours. Oh, yeah, I I can too. I mean, I could relate with so many things that you've said, and you've offered so much food for thought and some value for our listeners. And we really want to find out how how can we get your books and the resources that you offer mm-hmm. yeah they can go uh, if you go online to www.innerchild-sexaddiction.com again it's innerchild-sexaddiction.com you'll find on the website there'll be a link there for the book the book's available at almost every online book retailer out there but there's a link um and also on that site is my online counseling program as a 12-part program that walks you through the entire inner child concept so anyone who's dealing with an addiction would want to sit there and go through that and i priced it extreme extremely reasonable i mean it, it is less than what it would cost to have three individual sessions with me $340 because again, it's not about making money. It's about getting this out to people, you know, and, and making sure that they have this resource. And so I would encourage anyone who has who's dealing with some sort of addictive behavior uh, or even just behaviors in general to check that out. And like I said, it's been a very popular source of that people have been using you know, for the last year since the book been released. So again, that's where they can find me. They can go to www.innerchild-sexaddiction.com. Yeah, we'll definitely have those in the show notes for everybody listening. And that's that's what this podcast is about, is providing different resources for everybody because not everyone has the same needs or heals in the same way or you know, they might like your personality and your approach better than another guest. And so I, I like offering different options and even affordable options. And it sounds like you're you're still available um, in person or one-on-one if well, that's what they need, right? Right now, I'm not. I, I've been not? In, I, okay. It has been ever since the book came out a year and a half ago, um, I have been inundated. I get 10 to... 15 requests a week from people throughout the country and throughout the world 
who are wow. looking to do counseling with me. And I only have so much bandwidth, but I do <laughs> have, I do have a network of counselors who have okay, been trained, great. who've been trained. I developed a, a training program for the inner child concept. So I have a network of counselors throughout the country. And again, most of them are doing virtual anyway. So if people want to reach out to me, I'll be more than happy. I answer every email. I, I reply to every text to make sure that people have some place they can go uh, so that they can get the help they want. So there are, before when the book came out, I was th the only one doing inner child in mm -hmm. this area. Now there's about a, a dozen of us and we're expanding that beyond it. So again, so if anybody wants to send me an email, they can email me at edkappa, E-D-C-A-P-P-A at gmail.com. And I will make sure that they find somebody who can help them with that. Well, that's, that's really appreciated. Very helpful to offer that as a resource as well. Thank you again for being on the show today and well, glad to, to know you and God bless you for what you're doing. Well, thank you and thank and God bless you too for your ministry and what you're doing here to give people the, uh, an insight into many resources that are there to help them. We do not need to suffer alone. So it's been a pleasure to, uh, to meet you. Well, I hope that you listeners today have gotten a lot of value out of today's podcast. He has so much experience and a desire to help people, as you can see. Yeah, we were talking um, before the show. He's a really nice guy, as you can see. And he said he listened to my first couple of podcasts back in October and then listened to some new ones. And he had mentioned that he sees how much better I have gotten at podcasting. And so I appreciated that feedback. I just don't know unless somebody tells me how am I doing. I'd like to take the time to read some Apple podcast reviews that some of you have graciously left for me. Uh, so one was from Tiana144. She gave me a five-star review and she says, Diana, you are doing such great work by lifting others up. Thank you for the help with the volume on my podcast. Here's another one from Jake. 057. Inspiring conversations. The topics can be hard, but Diana and guests do an amazing job handling these topics with care. I'm inspired by overcoming and educated about new experiences. Worth a listen. And he gave me a five-star review as well. Thank you so much for that. And we have... Karen M.E. that left a five-star review. A safe place. I listened to episode 22 and was touched. The guest, Andrea, candidly shared some difficult parts of her life's journey. Her story and her music reminded me that God is with us even in our darkest times. Kudos to Diana, the host, for creating a safe place for her guests to talk about their faith and their struggles. 
I look forward to diving into more episodes. Thank you, Karen, for that really wonderful review. So if you haven't left a review for me, go on Apple Podcast and uh, give me some feedback. Are you getting the, the kind of guests that you need? Is there a topic that you want to dive into that I haven't yet? You know somebody that would be a great guest on the podcast? Even some constructive criticism I'm okay with. Just be nice. <laughs> Kiss gloves. But that helps others to find the podcast and decide whether they want to listen and how I can help more people. That's all I have for you today. Just a reminder that you are no longer a victim. You are victorious. So we will see you next week. God bless. Thank you for listening to the Wounds of the Faithful podcast. If this episode has been helpful to you, please hit the subscribe button and tell a friend. You can connect with us at dswministries.org where you'll find our blog along with our Facebook, Twitter, and our YouTube channel links. Hope to see you next week.